0: But this is specifically today to talk to the believer, and, and it is a topic that I need you to be aware of, can easily lend itself toward legalism. And what I mean by that is that, that there are some of us that grew up in the church that, that holiness had a look, that if you did these things, you were righteous regardless of what was taking place in your heart, and if you didn't do them, you know, the, and, and I need us to walk carefully on this. But the other side of that is that after you intersect the grace of Jesus Christ, your life will look different. There will be different characteristics to that. So I wanted to set that stage. The message today is about take off the rags and put on the robe. And I want to read to you from from Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to begin with verse 5 when it says this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of its Creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, would you say that with me, chosen people, chosen people, holy... And dearly loved, clothe yourself in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Heavenly Father... As we approach this part of the surface, we desperately need the work of the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us into all truth. I pray that with your help, we might be able to hold a mirror to our soul to to see where we are in this process of taking off the rags and putting on the robe that you have created for us. And so, Lord, minister to each of us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. One of my favorite biblical accounts is found in John 11. It's the story of the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. How many of you know that story? Most of you as I look around do. It's, it's a story that talks about the fact that Jesus showed up what Lazarus' sisters felt like was late. How many of you know there are times when you think God shows up late when He's right on time? Uh, Being that I'm a person that likes to be on time, in fact, I was raised that if you're not there a little early, you're late, God and I have had several conversations as to His timing, Uh, and I'm certain that you have as well. This was one of those moments when He showed up, Mary and Martha are disappointed. If Jesus had been there, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Jesus steps up to the tomb, asks the girls to roll away the stone, which is something that two ladies would not have been able to do, but with whatever help they had, they rolled it away. And then I love this line as Jesus stands in front of this tomb, and he yells, Lazarus, come forth. Well, if you're talking to a dead person in a tomb, of course you're going to yell. How else will a dead person hear you? And that what comes from this is that Lazarus, and I don't know how this happened, was able to slither off the slab, wrapped in grave clothes, land on his feet, and begin to just wiggle his way to the front. Oh, I can't wait to see that when I get there. And as he makes his way to the front of the tomb, Jesus sees him. All the other people gasp at what is taking place here. And Jesus says to the sisters, now go and loose him from his grave clothes. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm one of the sisters, I'm going, you raise him from the dead. You take off his grave clothes. And this account begins to take place about how they lose him and he lives a different life from that moment on. But today I want to create for you as we set the stage of the scriptures that we have just read an imaginary sequel to the exciting episode that's found in John 11. And I want you to imagine that you are going to Bethany shortly after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead and that you are interested in having a conversation with him. And so as you get to town, you begin to ask people, hey, I would like to meet Lazarus. Where can I find him at? Is this the village he was raised in? And they're going, yes. As a matter of fact, if you want to talk to Lazarus, you can go to the very graveyard that he was raised from because he's still there. And you're going, what? Oh, yeah, yeah. He has moved back into the tomb where he was raised from, and if you want to speak to him, you can go there. And as you go to the graveyard where he was at and you arrive at the tomb and the rock is still rolled away, you peer in and, and here is Lazarus sitting in there. And in fact, as you're trying to speak to him, you recognize that he has taken some of the old grave clothes that he was loosed from and has tried to clothe himself with those one more time. And you're going, what are you doing? And he goes, you know, after Jesus raised me from the dead, I recognize that, you know, after four days in here, I kind of got used to living in here. It's cozy. It's easy to clean. You know, it's not very big. And, and so I've just kind of moved back into the tomb. And, and as I got here, I began to recognize, you know, I wasn't all that uncomfortable in those grave clothes and so I've started to wrap those things around me a little bit again and and you begin to recognize that what he was called to life for he turned around and went right back into some of the things that he had had before and we look at that and we're going that makes no sense in fact that's not scriptural at all and I told you that it was a makeup story however it is no more inconsistent than many people who have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and have been given a brand new life in him and yet still live in the graveyards of the life that they were called from and still wrap themselves in the clothes of a life that they no longer live and the scripture indicates to us and we read today in Colossians chapter 3 that we are to take the rags off and put the robes on take the rags off and put the robes on you see when you were saved God asks you to put away something that is old and put on something that is new that's being provided for you. And we should look carefully at the last part of verse 9 and the first part of verse 10 because it says this. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices... And have put on the new self. In other words, there are things that after you have intersected the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have received him as your Savior, there are things that were old practices that we no longer do. That's not legalism. That's salvation. That means we're new. God has done something new in us, and we no longer live in the old way, and we put on the new. There's a contract between the old self or the old man and the new self or the new man. And that's what the terminology that Paul is using. It means that everything that you used to do before you met Jesus has been changed after you have come in contact with His grace. The new man, as I said, this is a message to those of us that are believers. The new man must reflect the Savior. The old man reflected the enemy. And we used to live that way, but we don't anymore. In fact, the imagery that is described for us in Scripture here is of a clothing taking something off, putting something on. And the clothing is described for us as the old man taking off rags, the new man putting on robes. And I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about this new life in Jesus and behavior that is consistent with the life that Jesus has given to us. So the first point I want to make is what do we take off when we have come in contact with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Take off the rags of the old life. Paul picks that theme here, and in Colossians 3.8 he says this, but now you must. Do you notice that it's not a suggestion that is being made here? There is a command that is given to us. You must rid yourselves of all such things. Things as these, And then he begins to give us a list of things which are, should be very easy for us to understand. And he gives us a, a series of words. And the first word is an attitude. Do any of you know people with an attitude? Don't look at your neighbor. Particularly don't look at your wife or husband. Just, yes. Because the first attitude, which is considered a rag of the old life, is anger. That means inner resentment. It means a smoldering on the inside that people may not see on the outside. They may not know what's there, but Scripture indicates to us that anger, smoldering anger, can be a very destructive emotion, and anger can cause all kinds of problems. The Bible tells us on one occasion, be angry and sin not. The only time when it's Not a sin to be angry is when you are angry at sin. But there is an anger that is an ungodly anger that rests within different people. And it's an anger that boils up in the heart. And those that are closest to you know the buttons that they can push to make that anger erupt from within you. Anger will tell you a great deal about yourself. How often do you get angry? What does it take to make you angry? Do you have a short fuse or do you have a long fuse? How easy is it for you to feel anger every day and how long do you stay angry once that fuse has been lit? As you begin to identify these things within yourself, you begin to recognize that this is a rag that the Lord says needs to be taken off. The rag of anger is not one that the child of God needs to put back on. The next word that's mentioned is wrath. While anger is an emotion on the inside, wrath is a behavior on the outside. It means explosion. A good translation for some of you would be rage. How many of you have ever experienced road rage in one form or another? The only people that didn't raise their hands don't have a driver's license. <laughs> Will Rogers said, people who fly into a rage often make really bad landings. Now. I did a little research and I discovered that dash cams take really, really good photos of road rage all the time. And so I'm just doing a little YouTube search and there were thousands of instances where dash cams were catching road rage. I mean, there were people that had somebody pull in front of them that got mad and they jumped out and they were smashing the other people's windows and throwing things at the car and yelling things at them. I happened to have a dear friend of mine whose brother pulled out of a parking lot, and the person that was coming was coming at a high rate of speed, felt as if that person, his brother, had cut them off, ran around in front of them, got to a stoplight, got out, and actually started shooting at him and killed him in an act of road rage. When we talk about wrath, the explosion of anger on the outside... We recognize that it's more than just about automobiles, but it's about an attitude that is simmering there waiting for an expression. We live in an angry world where wrath is evident all around us. And the Lord says that is a rag that you need to take off if you're going to put on the robe of righteousness. The next word that is mentioned is the word malice. Malice simply means meanness. A hard-down meanness that desires, desires evil for the people around you. This, my friend, is listed as a rag that you need to take off after you have intersected the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the heels of that malice or meanness toward other people is this mention of slander or blasphemy, talking about people trying to ruin somebody's name. Now if I were to ask you by a show of hands, I'm certain that everybody here would indicate that we can remember things in our life that somebody said about us that hurt us, probably wounded us deeply. There are people that won't go to church anymore because somebody who was supposed to be wearing a robe of righteousness put on an old rag of slander and begin to talk about somebody in such a way that they said, if that's what your God is like, then I don't want anything to do with Him. And as a result of that, somebody wearing an old rag after they've intersected the grace of Jesus Christ has severed the pastor's ability to be able to have a spiritual influence in somebody's life because they refused to change clothes after meeting Jesus. We all carry those wounds. And then the Apostle Paul continues on with this idea of what we are to get rid of when he said, "'Get rid of filthy language from your lips.'" Here he is saying that bad language belongs to the old life and it's not to be a characteristic of saved people. When Christ comes into your heart, then you must ask Him to make your words clean and pure. We live in a vulgar generation. This is a vulgar culture. And the kind of filthy language that people say in public and do things today we used to not think would ever be said in public. In fact. Last night as I was driving home from church, I was following a car that had a bumper sticker. The bumper sticker in big letters said, you matter. And I thought, oh, let's see what the rest of it says. And as I got up there closer, it says, but not to me, you blank. You matter, but not to me, you blank. So I had to pull up next to them and make sure that it wasn't one of our church members (laughs) that was in the car. It amazes me what people feel comfortable putting on their cars today. I feel sorry for those of you that are raising small children that have to ask, what does that word mean on the car in front of me? God has given us a rich vocabulary. There are thousands upon thousands of words that enable you to express yourself precisely and if need be, forcibly, But you do not have to be in the gutter. And Church of Jesus Christ, we've been asked to take off that rag and to put on something different. You can ask God to help you speak in such a way that Jesus Christ would not be embarrassed to stand next to you when you are talking. The Lord Jesus should be able to put His approval on the words that we use with one another. Next Paul states, do not lie to one another. I was going to ask, has anybody here ever lied, but I know for a fact that none of us would be able to not raise our hand in that. It's amazing that we seem to be born with that skill from early in our childhood days. Mothers walk into a room, and there's writing all over the wall in crayon. that said, did you do that? Nope. Nope. The tooth fairy came in last night and did that. When I was asleep, and the mother's going, "You, you... Do you think I'm stupid? As I was running through the YouTube thing, I came across a really funny example of a mother and two sons that were having an interaction. And why the mother chose to put a video cam in the kitchen indicates to me that she had already developed a distrust for her two sons that were young. But she did, and she had made brownies, and she told both of her boys that looked like they were about five and three. Whatever you do, do not touch these brownies. These are for company. And then she left them on the counter. When she was away, the youngest of the son got into the brownies and he stuffed one in his mouth. And about that time, she comes walking back into the room and sees brownie crumbs all over his mouth. And she said to him, what did you do? You disobeyed me, and he said, no, I didn't. She says, then what happened? And here here is the story that this three-year-old tells his mother. As soon as you left the room, my brother reached in there and he took a brownie. And when he heard you walking back in, he threw it at me and he hit me right in the mouth. (laughs) Lying is something that we seem to be born with the ability to do. And we earn, we learn early to, to stretch the truth and, and say things that aren't so, but when it comes to Christ, He said, when I have come into your life, these things are rags that you need to take off because there's something else that I want you to put on. And one of them is lying. We no longer do that. And I might just add to this what a tragedy it is that within families, particularly within couples when you begin to lie to one another, when partners begin to get suspicious of each other, how it absolutely destroys trust and it destroys the warmth of a relationship that ought to be there. If you tell your mate a lie, then you will wonder why they question everything else that you tell them all the rest of the time, and they will always wonder whether or not you are telling the truth. And the spiritual aspect of coming to Christ says, these are things, are rags that we take off in the middle of cleaning our closet because of Jesus living in our life. And so here are a few things that you take off. Those are the rags. Then what are the robes? We put on the robe of righteousness. I, As I was writing that this week, I, I was captured with the interest of the fact that in the United States Senate over the last two weeks, and some of you may be aware of this, they voted to do away with the dress code of having to wear suits and ties, some of you are nodding your head because there was one senator that wanted to wear a hoodie and shorts. And as a result of the one, the Senate made a change in their dress code so that this particular man might feel comfortable when he goes to work. Now I understand that as of Friday or yesterday that that has been turned around again and they have reinstituted the dress code. Of the United States Senate after that. But I, I thought how interesting it is today that we would choose to say, nothing is more, in, more important than my comfort in anything that I do. God has given us the beautiful garment of salvation. In fact, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5:17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. Can you say that with me? New creation. Sometimes you need to remind yourself that, that you are not just turning over a new leaf when you come to Christ. It's not that he's just taking the old you and and cleaning you off and and brushing you off. No, there is something that has happened on the inside of you and that on the outside you might look the same, but the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you and the DNA of your spiritual life has been completely changed. You are a new creation creation when Jesus comes into your life. And that is so important for us to recognize that the things of our past, the sins of our past, it says he throws those as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't remember them. There are things that Satan remembers against you that God doesn't remember against you because that was an old person and you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, he says, put on the new self. There's a different dress in your wardrobe. There's different things for you to wear that you, you have a, had picked out for you. And so what does a well-dressed Christian look like? It tells us in Colossians three twelve and 13, Therefore, as God's chosen people, the difference in who you were and who you are is now you're holy and dearly loved. You've always been dearly loved. Now you're holy. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. As you read that, you quickly begin to recognize that these are the personality traits of Jesus, isn't it? He says, if my Holy Spirit is going to live within you and I'm going to be working within you to change you from the inside out, then what will naturally come out will be what Jesus has put inside of you in his Holy Spirit. And he says, the first thing that is a part of your robe is compassion. We should ask Jesus to make us good-hearted, to be interested in the welfare of other people. Do you have goodness in your heart? Do you desire to do good for other people? Because the new creation that God has created and lives within you, this will be one of the natural outflows that you will wear. Dr. James O. Davis wrote this... What if every time you have done something kind and good to people, you were given ten dollars? And what if every time you did something unkind to people, five dollars was taken from you? Would you be rich or would you be poor? Compassion is a part of the robe of righteousness that Christians are to wear. The next thing that's mentioned is humility. That simply means that you have a right opinion of yourself. That you're not to think more highly of yourself than you ought. Humility does not mean timid. It just means that you know where you fit into different things, recognizing that you are no better than anybody else. and, And sometimes we get to thinking that we are better than other people. We are not better than anyone else. In fact, The only goodness that we have is the goodness that is found of the Lord Jesus Christ living through us in His Holy Spirit. So, God, would you help us to have a humbleness of mind so that we do not think more highly of ourselves than we ought and that we do not view other people as less than what they are. He says part of the robe of righteousness is also gentleness. In some of the versions that you read, it might say meekness, and that is a beautiful word with beautiful characteristics, because it can also be translated as quiet strength. In fact, the word that is used here is often used in terms of of an animal trainer, such as somebody who is training a horse. This animal of incredible strength and incredible power, far more powerful than the trainer itself. And yet, here is this horse that has a strong will, a big spirit, and yet it is brought under control and it is tamed by its master. The power is still there, but it is now power under control. I believe that that is a great description of the robe that we need to put on as Christians. We are powerfully... Anointed people under the control of the Holy Spirit. You lead us and you guide us, but boy, Satan, you start to mess with us, and we as a praying church are going to take you down because of the power that is there. We are meek in front of God, but he is our master. So pray that God downloads meekness in your life, that he can give you a strength of spirit, and may gentleness be a part of what you wear. Then we get to this one. This is my least favorite, I will admit to you. Patience or long-suffering? I wish I could have just left that one out. Some of you have coffee mugs that say, God, I need patience and I need it right now. Because that has been the experience of your life. Long-suffering. The fascinating part of this is that this is really written as it relates to the way that we interact with each other. Not necessarily the world, but the church that we would be patient with each other. There are those of you that in your journey with Christ are just beginning, and there are others who are farther along, and and we need to be really, really careful that we are patient with each other's journey, that we speak words of kindness and encouragement to each other's journey. One of the things that has always bothered me is it's a shame when Christians act ugly toward one another, if you've acted ugly toward a brother or sister lately, then you also need to know that part of the robe of righteousness is learning how to apologize, humbling yourself and apologizing for some things that you may have said. Only Jesus can create that within us. And then it says bearing with each other or forbearing with one another. That means hanging in there with people that embarrass you in its literal translation. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. How many times and in situations of your life have you been with people that have embarrassed you? As a result of that, you start saying, you know, I don't want to be around them. They just they always embarrass me. They always say something. They do something. It, it puts a bad light on me, and it just makes me uncomfortable. I think about this oftentimes, particularly as it related to what it was like for the disciples, because Peter probably would have fit into the category of the one that would have embarrassed people. You know, you look at John, who likes to lay on the chest of Jesus, he's the one that Jesus loved. And then you see Peter, who's, who's if there's, somebody asks a question, Peter has an opinion. Peter had opinions about everything. And I'm certain that there were times the disciples are looking at him going, Peter, would you just shut up? You are always embarrassing us. And yet, Jesus was doing something in Peter that was different than what he was doing in everybody else. And he said, you need to learn to just have patience with each other in this. And so the Lord is patient with Peter, but he's also patient and forbearing with us. In fact, have you ever thought about this? There is a passage of Scripture found in Hebrews eleven sixteen, 16, and I find it most fascinating that this is mentioned in the Hall of Fame of faith. It goes through the list of people that their faith was magnificently displayed, and then there is this. God is not ashamed to be called their God. That arrested me. I'm going, well, of course you wouldn't be ashamed to call them your people or them to call your God. And then it dawned on me how many times in my life, with the Holy Spirit living with inside of me, have I caused him to feel shame that I am his? Because I responded or reacted in a way that was not consistent with the robe of righteousness, but it felt an awful lot like trying to wrap myself back up with rags. There is a reason that in our devotions every day and in our prayer every day that we often have this line in there, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me for my shortcomings? Would you forgive me today for the way that I have failed you? And maybe we even need to say, and Lord, would you forgive me for embarrassing you, for carrying your name and wrapping myself up in rags of an old life? Because if there are moments that we recognize this, then God can begin to mature us. And he said we should strive to be patient and long-suffering. And then he said forgiving grievances against one another. Worship team, I'm going to ask that you come, please. The interesting thing about this particular word, forgiving, here is it's different than all of the other places in the Scripture because the root word of this word, forgiving one another, literally means gracing one another, being graceful to one another. I stopped when I thought about that because 105 years ago when this church began, Actually, it would be less than that because it started out as, well, no, it was Grace Tabernacle. They chose that word to be our name. And as a result of that, we who attend this church carry with us the responsibility of making sure that our lives in the robe of righteousness that we wear graces people around us. In a community that may not live godly, we are called to wear that robe of righteousness where we are graceful with people around us, forgiving, gracing one another. This is a word that describes God's attitude toward us. He forgives us. He graces us. You think about Jesus on the cross. And as he was hanging there, he was in the middle of a hateful and hostile crowd. They were taunting him, making fun of him, spitting on him, and they crucified him. And yet the Bible says that he was saying over and over and over again during that time, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. If they had my perspective, they wouldn't do that. But Father, forgive them. Forgiveness is tearing up the IOUs that hold you to another person or something that the other person holds to you. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It's, I don't feel like forgiving. It's more than that. Forgiveness is a decision. You decide to forgive one another. But pastor, you don't know what they did to me. I want you to look at your hands for a moment. Just just look at your hands if you would for a moment. How many of you see nail scars there? None of you. And if you were to reach up at your head for a moment, none of you would feel the scar tissue of a crown of thorns that was rammed down on your head. And if I were to look at your side, chances are none of you are carrying a spear mark in your side that indicated that you hung on a cross and died only Jesus did that so if he can say father forgive them from the cross then you and I have no reason not to be graceful with one another forgiving each other it's part of the robe of righteousness It's part of who we are it's part of how we act as a new believer after intersecting the grace of Jesus Christ so it's a decision and then Paul puts this all together and he says you forgive as the Lord forgave you. Oh, that is so humbling. And he says, there's the standard. Now, I, I love to shoot my bow. I'm an archer. And we're in the season where I like to get out in my backyard and practice, and I aim at the bullseye every single time. I don't always hit it, but I aim at it every single time. And I believe that that's what this verse is forgive others as Christ has forgiven you is the bullseye in which we are to aim as believers in Jesus Christ. This is what we do. This is how we aim. This is is the way I want to accomplish this, and I'll do my best every time. And then he wraps it all up in the verse 14 when he says, and over all of these virtues in this last crescendo, put on love. It's the belt that holds the whole garment together. It binds them together in perfect unity and the bond of completeness.